So see y'all next week. Amen. <laughs> I don't really know exactly um, where we go from there. Jake, first of all, thank you so much for bearing your heart and soul and being truthful and honest. And the, the reality is, and the reason we want to do this this summer is take time to share our stories is because I want us to see just how connected we are, right? Not just to people in Scripture, Peter and John and Abraham, but to the people in our community, people that have similar stories. And while they may not be touching all corners, there are common threads that run through all of these things that include connect us to Jake or connect us to Peter or connect us to Abraham. Because the truth is, none of us is deserving of God's incredible grace. Not one. As we'll see today, Abraham did nothing to deserve God's incredible call on his life. He is, in fact, flawed and broken, and yet God, in his incredible mercy and grace, steps into brokenness and does the extraordinary, much the way he did when he stepped into Jake's life, never leaving, never forsaking, always walking, always present. These stories tie us together, and I want to be, I'll be really brief this morning because I know we've, we've done a lot, we've got a lot of places to go, but uh, we're going to be in Genesis 12 for just a moment, and I want to connect us back to the beginning. So, I, and I want to say the beginning, I most literally mean the beginning, right? So Genesis 12 is really the beginning of the connecting point of redemptive history. It's been said that everything in Scripture that leads up to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is getting us prepared for it. And then everything in Scripture after Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is fulfilling the promises that we see there. It is the, the sort of connecting point of God's incredible covenant of grace in all of redemptive history. It's the promise that is born of a nation that then begins to be born of Christ and then begins to give birth to Christianity. It is the picture of God's beginning movement of his covenant of grace. And so everything leading us to this point gets us to this call, this incredible blessing that we will see. A couple of things I want you to just see and know real quick before we dive into those few verses is tell you a little bit about Abraham as, as a person, right? There's there's really an unapproachable and sort of unprecedented way that we know Abraham more so than any other person in all of Scripture. His life is sort of carved out for us through the pages of Scripture like no other. We see it not only in the accounts of Genesis, but we see it traced through the wisdom writings. We see it traced through all kinds of things. It shows up again in Acts. It shows up again in Hebrews. We see Abraham's life poured out for us in plain kind of daylight. Um, Abram, Abram and Abraham are the same person. God changes Abram's name to Abraham in chapter 17. Um, Abram means high father. God changes his name to father of nations, Abraham, uh, a little later to coincide with his promise. So I'll use both names back and forth today just because that's just how it comes out of my mouth. But it's really the same exact person, right? Uh, he was nothing special. He was a really a flawed individual. He was a simple shepherd, rough and simple shepherd. And as we'll see in a moment, his life had deep and real flaws and failures. And they're actually marked very clearly in Scripture, and they're really painful. Um, by all definitions and practical purposes, Abraham is the definition of the ordinary. He fits into this collective story with you and with me. And this morning, we're going to look briefly at his call. The call that God gives him, that he ultimately gives to us, and how that translates for you and I as followers of Christ, that the way God calls us is so deeply personal, um, it's so deeply costly, and it's rooted in a series of promises. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 12 for just a moment. 
I'm going to read through the first nine verses, but we're going to really pay attention to the first four. And before we do that, let's just take a moment and let's just pray quickly. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you for uh, families like Thomas's uh, father, for Jake's willingness to get up here and just share his story of being part of this collective. Um, as painful and hard as that may be, it's also liberating to know that you are in control. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would teach our hearts through Scripture, that you would open us to some simple yet powerful truth this morning. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to teach your heart something through his word this morning. Whatever that may be, whatever you might need to hear, just ask the Lord to teach you. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you, in front of you, behind you, even if you don't know their name. We do this every week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. We want to know that the people around us are people that we love and care for, and we want God to move in their lives. So pray for somebody. Pray that God would move in their heart. Um, if you know them well, great. If you don't know them at all, great. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you as we wrap up our time in the word from our worship and sharing testimony and prayer together. God, we pray that you would tie these things together in the way that only you can do. And we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So Genesis 12, right? This is going to be Abraham's call. Uh, it's going to be the promise that God gives him. And it's going to mark a really important place in biblical history. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. <clears throat> and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan when they arrived, uh, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is an incredible promise for a lot of reasons. Um, one, because it's the promise that an entire race of people is going to be built on. It's actually the promise of a new generation, a new religion, a new movement of people, an entire people group. That God is going to call out of the line of one people that is ultimately going to be the foundation of Judaism and thus the foundation of all of Christianity. It's why the call of Abraham is so incredibly powerful. And the word of the Lord appears to Abraham, and it comes actually before just this moment. God actually calls Abraham back in Mesopotamia before he even arrives in Haran. So just a little bit of a, of a timeline. At some point in time, God had already given Abram the word that he was going to be leaving that land, the land of Ur, where he was living with his father and his father's household. We know that from Acts chapter 7. We also know it from Joshua 24. We also know it from the word here where God had spoken to him. So at some point in time, God had given him this call. They had left that land. He had traveled with his father's household. And they had made it to the land of Haran, which was sort of this caravan city. 
And by all practical purposes, we understand that most likely Abram stayed there until his father passed. And then God re-brought up this call and attached it to this blessing. And Abraham then walks out the land of Haran and follows the Lord into the unknown land, the land of the Canaanites, the land that Abraham did not know or Abram did not know where he was going. God was going to lead him into. So Abraham leaves and he gathers up his things and he takes his nephew Lot and his wife Sarai, who later will have her name changed to Sarah by God. They gather up their possessions and the people that were part of their kind of family or those that worked for them were a part of their community right there and they just left everything. And they followed the Lord. And when they arrived at the place, the Canaanites were still in the land, and God basically said, this is the spot. And so there, at a place called Shechem, which is going to be an incredibly important place in all of Scripture. Joshua 24 makes a covenant there for the people. Uh, Jacob's well is actually there. It's an incredibly important place. There's a giant oak tree that was there. And Abraham, at that oak, marks the spot. He marks the covenant with God. And he basically said, this is sort of the fulfillment of where God has brought me into this land and these promises, and a lot is going to happen there. And I wish we had all the time in the universe to get into those things, but I want to pay special attention to this other little piece this morning. Because if we look at the collective of the ordinary, of people that are just like you and me, that are flawed and broken and not perfect in our faith, and how God does the extraordinary thing by calling them first, using them, and doing extraordinary things, Abraham fits into that collective picture incredibly well. At the time, you have to understand how absolutely hopeless everything was. Babylon is a, it is a hopelessly dark place and dark time. Steeped in sin, there is nothing good in the world. If you read up into Genesis 12 and what is happening, the world is an incredibly dark place. Chapter 11 of Genesis is the collective group of humanity coming together, claiming to be so great that they are going to build basically an altar, a tower to their greatness that would reach up to the heavens to demonstrate to the world how unbelievably great and powerful they were and how much they didn't need a God. It was a dark place and it was sinful and it was hopeless. And you get the sense as you read up to Genesis 11 that all of humanity is on the brink of literally being destroyed. And then we catch this glimpse through these genealogies that maybe God is doing something. That just maybe through this family, this, this Abram, this character, this guy and, and his life, who we now know only at the age 70, we don't know anything, maybe there's something there. And then we get to verse 30 out of chapter 11, and it says that Abram, Abram and his wife were barren. So even if we thought there was hope for humanity, we find out that Sarai, Abram's wife, is going to be childless. And the hope just sort of ends at chapter 11. We have this family. We think that God was up to something. Humanity is awful. It's sinful. It's hopeless. Nothing good is happening. And the only hope that we thought was coming is actually hopeless. And that's where chapter 12 begins. And that's why we see that most of Scripture leading up to chapter 12 is sort of readying us for this moment in which all of Scripture will now be fulfilling what unfolds. And it's out of this hopelessness that God speaks. And he only speaks out of his incredible graciousness. 
And so in a time of dark and despair and hopeless and no answers, and if you want to echo sort of the, the darkness of humanity that is clouding everything, the God of the universe, the God that has breathed life into humanity itself, speaks to Abram. And Abram's nothing special. His dad is actually a pagan. They're polytheists, all of them. They believe in a multitude of gods. Joshua 24 tells us that Abram's entire family believed in a whole host of gods that they worshipped. They were not followers of the one true God. Not until God spoke and pulled and called Abram. So for 70 years of his life, we know that Abram was a polytheist, a pagan, that followed his own ways and the ways of his father. Hopeless. But God speaks, and he speaks this incredibly personal way, right? We see that right at the beginning of 12. We see God literally speak out of hopelessness and through his graciousness. The Lord said to Abram, speaking directly to him, leave your country and your people and your father's household, and I will go to the land that I will show you. And then he gives them this incredible blessing, right, that basically says this, out of you, I will make a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples in the earth will be blessed through you. Why? What did Abraham do? What did his faith do to warrant this kind of calling? Well, nothing. This is an absolute act of God's incredible grace on a flawed, sinful, polytheist of a man who God decides in his grace that he is going to personally call out of the world of darkness. To not just use for his extraordinary purpose, but to make an extraordinary life change in him. And what God tells Abram is not that I'm going to do something as a result of you, but I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to make you great. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those through you. And the entire population of people from here on out will be blessed because of you. God's call on Abram's life was incredibly personal. And there's really no rhyme or reason for it. Abram did nothing to deserve it. But God's call is that way, right? I mean, even if we look at what we looked at last week, Peter and John, or we look at Paul, or we look at Moses, or any of these people that God calls, it's this similar yet incredibly personal call on those direct lives of people. Saul on his way chasing Christians, trying to persecute them, taking them to jail. God showing up in blinding light and lock, knocking him to his knees and saying, Saul, rise. It's Jesus whom you're persecuting. Go to the city that I will show you. God showing up in a burning bush in the presence of Moses and saying, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And Moses saying, who am I? And God essentially saying, you're no one. But I am. Literally, I am. Right? It's Peter standing on a boat. Saying, we're not going to go fishing again. And Jesus says, no, you are. And he's like, no, we're not. And Jesus says, you are. And they catch so many fish, their boats begin to sink. And he says, follow me. None of which any of these people have done anything great to warrant the call of God. And neither of you. And neither have I. But the incredible nature about who God is is that he calls each and every one of us with a very personal and very direct call. Sometimes that's to lead a nation. Sometimes it's literally to let go of fear. But the call is always personal. And if you haven't had it, you're probably not listening to the Lord because the truth is God speaks and calls into our lives as followers of Christ. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we give the Lord unprecedented access to what is already his. 
And he begins to speak with these personal calls. The same way he called Abraham, the same way he called Moses, the same way he called Peter and John and Andrew and Paul. The same way he speaks into the life of Jake and he speaks into mine. But see, not only is that call personal, it's actually really costly. And this is the part that nobody really likes to talk about when it comes to the call of God. The speaking of God into our lives. We don't like to talk about the cost. But the truth is, following Jesus is incredibly costly. It's hard. Think about what God is calling Abram out of. Right? Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to a place that I will show you. By all practical purposes, these are the the delights of life, aren't they? Your people. Those that you identify with. Your community, the people that have known you since birth and up through 70 years, the people that you understand and identify with, that worship the way you worship, that do the things the way that you do them. I want you to get up and I want you to leave them. I want you to leave your country, your father's household, meaning your family. I want you to leave those that know you the most, those that you rely on, those that are part of your network, your friends, those intimate relationships. And I want you to just go. By all practical stretches of human understanding, God is calling Abram out of the delights of life and into the unknown. Because for all of us, those are the things that we delight in most in life. Community, people, friends, family, comfort, safety, security. They represent so much. But the costly call of God calls Abram out of those comforts and into the complete unknown. Because nowhere does God say, listen, I'm going to show you where we're going, and here it is before we leave. The entire journey that we see in Genesis 12 is Abram setting out to a land he's never seen and doesn't know. (coughs) Excuse me, leaving behind those things that God has called him to leave behind. Often God's call in our life is unsettling. It's unsettling because we don't know the outcome. It's unsettling because God often doesn't give us those details. God withholds things so that we will seek him more intently. Surrendering our lives to Christ is costly. And it can cost us a lot, but the one thing it really costs us almost always is what's known. The call of Christ is into the unknown. Think about how Jesus steps in the life of Saul, knocks him to the ground, blinds him and says, go to the city and I'll show you what's going to happen from there. No answers, no specifics. Peter, Andrew, fishermen on the side of the road, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. Follow you where? The call of Philip, right? Hey, I want you to go down to the desert road, the road that leads to Gaza. Out from where you are in Macedonia doing incredible ministry where people are coming to know Christ by the thousands. And I want you to walk down to an old road that no one ever goes down anymore and just hang around. So Philip goes and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember the story, we've talked through it. The call of God is almost always leading us from safety and security into the unknown. And it's costly. And that's why the majority of us are frozen in our faith. Because our demands upon the Holy Spirit are, I will follow you as long as I know in advance 
what happens. And until then, I will wrestle and fight you for power and control. Because I don't want to have to live in the unknown. But in the unknown is where the beauty of knowing God exists. When Abraham gathers up his wife, Sarai, and their family, and Lot, and their nephew, they gather their things, and they set off on this journey. I guarantee you every single one of them is probably saying, what are we doing? And he's going, the Lord called us. And they're all going, the Lord who? Right? Abraham is the first Hebrew. He is literally most, the first of an entire nation coming out of a group of people that had real, no, no real understanding of the one true God at all. And so yet he still, in the middle of all that, says, I'll risk it. I'll risk the unknown. Because tied together in that costly, personal call is this incredible promise. And this is what I want you to see this morning. So listen to what God promises, what, what that call, that costly call is blanketed with. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you. Whenever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That sounds pretty awesome to us, because we know exactly what happens. We know the story of redemptive history. We know where this comes from, that God is going to do an incredible thing, and he's going to miraculously give Abraham and Sarah a child. And that child is going to lead to a lineage that's going to ultimately take us to Christ through these incredible things. Kings and judges and all kinds of amazing things and prophets and ups and downs and people wandering the deserts and Egyptians and Red Seas and all these things to get us to the line of Christ that is going to come through this people to redeem not only a nation but to redeem humanity. It's an incredible promise, but from Abraham's perspective, what does that mean? So God has now promised me a nation, a people, a blessing, all right, it's something, but it's not as powerful as it seems on paper. But what's wrapped up in it is what makes it a promise so incredible. And what's wrapped up in it is a promise that God gives you and me. And that's this. If you really read those verses, what you see is God saying essentially three things. I will lead you, I am with you, and I will take care of the outcome. This is what God is promising in that costly call to Abraham. In that costly call for him to leave his father's house, their land, their country, their people, that incredibly personal call that says you, who deserve nothing, who have only worshipped other gods, whose family has only worshipped other gods, who actually is not a powerful person of faith, who has warranted not me to call you and do anything great with you, who is part of an extreme collective of just ordinary people, a shepherd. Tough, but a shepherd. You, who I am calling, I am asking you to walk away from all those things. But I'm going to blanket it in this promise. I will lead you. The land I will show you. I am with you. I will bless those. I will curse those. And I will take care of the outcome. This is the common blanket of promises that God gives those that he calls. It looks differently, right? There are different details within it. But if you really strip those away, it's the exact same promise that he gives. It's a promise he gave Saul. It's a promise he gave Philip. It's a promise he gave the disciples. It's a promise that he gives you and me. That if we truly hear his call and put our feet to the places that he's calling us to put our feet to, these promises never end. I will lead you. God always promises to go before us. 
I will show you, I will lead you. God always promises to be with us. I will be with you. In fact, he gives Jesus the name Emmanuel, God with us. I will lead you, I am with you. And then God always, always, always promises to be in the outcome. The outcome is not your responsibility. The spiritual movements are not your responsibility. Your responsibility is the faithfulness and obedience to the call of God. God will do what God will do. You and I are tied up in the, I need to see what that blessing means before I follow you. And Jesus says, no. When you follow me, I will lead you, I will never forsake you, and I will do what I will do. You may see that this side of heaven or you may not. Remember, my call on you is not for the result, it's for you. God doesn't need Abraham. He could have chosen any one of thousands upon thousands of people. Abraham had nothing to offer. But God, in his infinite, incredible grace, calls him and asks him to act in obedience upon a promise that is steeped in three truths. I will lead you, I am with you, and I will take care of what comes. When I think about the simple call of Christ in my life, these things are the same. Trev, you literally are hopeless. You've got nothing real to offer. You're kind of sinful, a lot sinful. You're really selfish. You're super faithless. You've got a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, and a lot of fear. But I'm an extraordinary God. And so I'm going to ask you to follow me where I will lead, and I will promise that I will never leave you, and I will take care of all the outcomes if you trust me. That call is the same. I don't know what God is calling you to. Maybe it's something as simple as out of complacency or out of consumer-driven religion or out of fear. Or maybe it's something monumental like a career change or to try to do this or to do that or to go this place with your family or whatever it may be. Whatever mountain or molehill that call is in your life personally, those promises, that call is blanketed in those promises. We see it echoed throughout Scripture. And it's what the call of Abraham is built on. And that call leads to you and me knowing Christ. Because Abraham obediently followed the Lord and trusted that God will lead him, that God wouldn't let him go, and that God will be in charge of the outcomes. I stand here as a redeemed follower of Christ because Abraham trusted the Lord. I guarantee you when Abraham set out from Haran, he had no idea that Treb, who was his dad's name spelled backwards, Bert, would one day stand up 2,000 years ago and say, I'm here because of Abraham, right? Didn't even cross his mind. He probably just thought, how am I going to get all these sheep out of the desert? <laughs> we don't think about our lives in terms of the grand spectrum of the incredible nature of who God is. We just want to think about how it affects me. The truth is, the call of God is steeped in something so much bigger than you will ever understand. What if we collectively just said, okay, kind of hopeless, a lot of brokenness, I don't deserve much. I don't deserve anything. But you love me and call me, as Jake was saying, out of your incredible grace. And that if I just trust you and believe that you will lead and that you will never leave me and that you will take care of the outcomes, what might that lead to? Maybe it leads to just a stronger faith in my heart. Maybe it leads to the birth of a nation. Who cares? 
all that matters is the great call of God is personal, it's costly, and it's steeped in this incredible, beautiful blanket of grace. So whatever God is calling you to through Christ, whatever that looks like, my challenge to you this morning is this. Just say yes. Just say yes. God's promise is a blanket in his call. As costly as it may seem today, it is steeped in the leading and the presence of God. And he will take care of what he will do. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the simple truth, the story of Abraham. For the more profound truth, the story of Jake Thomas. For the realities that are tied up in both of those things. That Jake, myself, Abram, all of us in this room are actually much more connected than we think. We're part of a collective of ordinary people in which you call, not just to do extraordinary things, but what you call, period, which is extraordinary. That you would use Abram to give birth to a nation. That you would use me to even utter a truth about grace. That you would use Jake to speak about strength and trust and forgiveness. That you would use us as part of this collective, is extraordinary. So Lord, help us trust that when you call us, we know it may be costly, but we also know it's personal. That when you call us, Lord, you will blanket it in your incredible graciousness and promise that you will lead us and that you are with us and that you will take care of the rest. And let us rest in those truths. As we close our time in worship this morning, God, what I pray is that you would stamp those things on our hearts. And that we may lift them up and celebrate them together as a community that is called to trust together. To support each other in our times of struggle and failure. And to support each other in our times of call and joy. To be the great encourager and cloud of witnesses for those that are following Christ together. As we trust you, our Lord and our God. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning.